Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning. How are we? Good. It's good to see you here. Good to see you here. Has everybody already got their favorite chili dog planned for tomorrow? No? Okay, what's up with that? I thought you would have planned ahead. Well, I, uh, there is so much that is, um, God is doing in our nation right now um, in this season. And um, there's a possibility that I may get a little scattered this morning. And some of you are saying, how is that any different than last week? Um, it may be worse, just, just so you know, but uh, I, I'll try to do my best to kind of stay on track. But there, there's much that we have to be thankful for as a nation, but there is so much more that I believe the Lord is calling us to partner with Him, starting in prayer, but then in work in our nation uh, to see more of God's kingdom coming into all aspects and spheres of our, our society today. And I, and I, wanna, I want us to go to God's word today uh, and look. I know some of you are saying, don't we do that every Yeah, we do that every week. Just if you're new here, yes, we do. Um, I, wa- I wanted you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and open them to, to Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And I, I, wanna, I want us to think in terms of what we're going to read today in the context and light of what God's doing in our own nation and I want to I draw your attention to one phrase that we're going to read in the scripture passage that I've selected for today. And it's the phrase, there is no other. There is no other. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Ch- Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start reading together um, in verse 8 uh, this morning. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... Whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other. There is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word, that you would, God, open our hearts and minds to what you would have for us today. Holy Spirit, I know that if anything good and lasting, eternal, life transforming happens it will only be because of you and so we invite you here we we welcome you here we know you're here and i am now asking you in the name of jesus to please holy spirit have unhindered sway over our thoughts and our minds guard this place with your presence please in christ's name i pray amen We're going to flip back into Acts 4 and Acts 3 even. So you may want to kind of hang out there for a minute. Now, I I love what has taken place in what we just read. And I love the man who made that declaration, um, the Apostle Peter, because he is different from the man that he was 50 days earlier. He is completely different. I mean, this is one transformed dude. Uh, Fifty days earlier, Peter had stood not far from where he was standing here in the courtyard, 
And instead of proclaiming the powerful name of Jesus, he denied Jesus three times. Denied that he even knew him. But on this day, what Peter says is like way just incredibly astounding. He makes some incredible statements. One that I want to point out is he, he clarifies the reason for the inquisition that he and John are, are now in. And we're going to go back and look at that. So just think this is out of context. Where I'm going to take, you know how they do on um, some of those movies where they start you here and then they drop you back 24 hours? We're going to kind of do that, okay? Um, but the, the, he, he points out what the real charges are. He, he says this kind of thing, kind of a sham. And he, he's basically saying, uh, you know, the, the, the man whom you sentenced to death, whom you, uh, this very group, this group that's gathered right here, had crucified for proclaiming that he was God. I'm here today because someone was healed in his name. And I just want, you to, I just want to point out why we're really here. This, this is kind of, kind of a sham, Peter is saying. He, the, the man that you sentenced and killed and buried and you thought was gone is working today. He's bringing about healing in the brokenness in our world. He is at work. Jesus is still working. And it's kind of, kind of laughable, if you will, when Peter dives into his second point about how preposterous this whole inquisition is because they've now uh, arrested him and they're, they're holding a trial because a lame man has now been completely healed. A man that all of these leaders probably knew and had probably actually at some point in their lives given alms to, given financial support to. This man was now healed. And Peter points out, so let's see, we've been arrested for doing something good, not something evil. I mean, he, just, he points it out. And, and, and then he, he turns the tables on them because this was supposed to be an inquisition, uh, you know, kind of against Peter and John. And, and Peter turns the tables on them. He, he goes on the, the, the offense, and it's pretty hard, hard, hardcore here. He, he points out and he states that, you guys, you leaders, you were called to be the builders of the nation. You were supposed to be the ones building a people for God who would worship him who would be on mission with him, but by rejecting the cornerstone, by rejecting Jesus, God has rejected you. And it's like, if you know what a mic drop is, it's like Peter goes, and he, just, he, he just kind of blows them away. He, he's calling on the name of Jesus, and he says, there's no other name like it. There, there's no other, no other name. Now, jump back with me to, to Acts chapter 3. And I want you to see what landed Peter and John in this, this ridiculous inquisition. But remember, it's being used by God. So God is sovereignly working in this moment. The, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which translated in our times about 3 p.m. And this was a daily kind of uh, habit, if you would, of the people of God. They had prayers multiple times a day. 3 p.m. was one of them. So they're going to the 3 p.m. prayer service. And it says, a man lame from birth. Don't, don't forget that point. A man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily. Notice that word, that word daily. This man who was lame from birth was carried, and they did this daily. It said, they laid him at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So every single day of this man's life, he would come to this place, be carried by, by people who loved him enough to do this. And he would, he would beg. He would ask for alms. Verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. They looked at him, he said. And they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I imagine he probably held his hand up, uh, it, it, what happened there. But Peter said... I have no silver and gold. What, what, what you're sticking in your hand, I don't, I don't have that. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he, hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles, they were made strong 
And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, now grab this, and leaping and praising God. This man who had not walked since birth. I mean, he, he learned to walk like that. He's, he's on it. And he's leaping and he's praising God. And then it says, and who? Who does it say next? And who? All the people. Say it with me. All the people. All the people saw him walking and praising God, verse 10, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple every day, remember, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were all filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Now, the rest of chapter 3, you can go back and read it later. later. Peter and John start proclaiming the gospel. They start, start teaching the people who are like amazed at this demonstration of the power of the gospel. They start teaching them. Okay? And then this, this happens. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Again, so let me point out here, it's just the number of men. There would have been women in the women's court that day. There would have been children with them. So this is a 5,000 plus conversion day, if you would. It says they believed because of the power of Jesus demonstrated in the healing of the man and because of the declaration of the good news about Jesus that Peter and John proclaimed. They, they, they saw and they heard. Friends, God is looking for some Peter and Johns today. He's looking for Peter and John's to, who will demonstrate the power of God that has changed their lives and declare the good news about their personal relationship with Jesus. Verse 5, on the next day, we're getting back to where we started. On the next day, it says, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now, that's important to stop and pause for a minute, in order for their elders and the scribes, for all of those rulers to be called together into Jerusalem, here's what would have had to happen. That night, when they had locked them up, they would have had to send out messengers to go and get these elders and scribes and rulers, had to go out all over the land, and they would have had to hustle back overnight for this silly trial. And so, now we find ourselves, it says, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered themselves in Jerusalem. And it says, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Those are, those are names you need to know if you don't know who those are. These were two really evil dudes. Really kind of despicable men. We talked about them in detail back in our Monday Thursday service. But basically, history tells us that they are more like uh, mob bosses than they are like priests of, of God. And so we see with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family, verse 7. And when they had sent them in the midst, or set them in the midst of them, so they're talking about set Peter and John in the middle of these leaders, it says they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Talking about the healing. Now we're back to where we started. Verse, verse 8 of chapter 4. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't let that, don't run past that. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit needs to be your guide. Only the Holy Spirit can lead us into anything that's going to make a difference, anything that's going to change. And he needs to be our guide in the four questions that I want to give you today. I, I want to give you four, four questions to kind of walk out of here and, and mull over and think about. In your own life, what, what, what does your life look like around, around four questions? I want to keep reading. It said, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, to the rulers and the people of the elders, and then jump down to verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. Now, as I said earlier, God had called these men that had assembled in Jerusalem to be the builders of God's people for God's purposes, to build God's people up, to worship him to be on mission with him, accomplishing God's purposes, not their own, 
building a nation of worshipers, a people of, of God's own special possession. God had called these men. He had given them the wonderful privilege and honor of being called to build that with him. Friends, God is calling us, his people today, to build with him, to build his, his kingdom in the hearts and minds of people everywhere. Now, this is my first point that I want, just want to get you thinking about today. And, and, and I believe this is true. Every last one of us in here is building something. We're, we are all building something, whether we know it or not. We're all building something. We may be doing it unintentionally or intentionally, but we're all building something. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were building a name for themselves. Amen. I, I take that as an amen, just so you know. Now, we talked last week about how these men, these leaders of the nation, they had great envy of Jesus. That they envied him so much that it actually drove them to have him put to death. Friends, anytime anyone makes a decision like that where they're going to build for themselves instead of building for God, it usually ends up in a mess. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In, in Genesis chapter 11, we read about a time when the people of God decided they were not satisfied being a community of faith, being a community for God's own possession, to being uh, on purpose and mission with God. They had something else in mind. Look at Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. It said, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, some of you know that that account from history in the scriptures is known as the story of the Tower of Babel, and things didn't turn out so good. I mean, literally, they tried to supplant the building plans of God for his community. They tried to supplant God's plans with their own building plans. And here's what happened. A global pandemic of confusion and division broke out. All, all, all over the world, this division broke out, and they were scattered everywhere. You can go back and read about that in Genesis chapter 11. There's another who had his own building plans. You can read about him in the scriptures too. His name is Satan. And he had a plan that he wanted to build to draw people away from worshiping God to, to worship him. And so he tempts, even this day, tempts everybody, deceives us into thinking what he wants us to think. So he, 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 he tempts us, and then he, he's trying to draw us away to worship him, and he deceives us into thinking that what we're actually doing is building something for ourselves. And what we're really doing is building for him. But it looks to us like we're building, you know, our own status maybe, our own career, maybe just building our own, our own family, our own 401K, our own, you can just fill in the blank with about anything. It's, it's, it's for our own. But what we're really doing in that is we are forsaking the authority that God has given us over Satan when we step into that. We, when we get distracted and move in that direction, the authority and power that God has given his people over the enemy, we just hand it over to him. We, we, just, we just give it. We surrender. But Jesus, the perfect human being, the model on whom which we should follow and pattern our lives, Jesus wouldn't be deceived by it. He, he, he wouldn't. He would not give up the authority that God his Father had given to him. He wouldn't seek to do his own will, build his own thing. Jesus would only seek to do the will of his Father. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see this recorded. In verse 8, we read, Again, the devil took him, being Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said, All this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus said, I'll only be about building a community of worshipers for my Father. I'll only be about worshiping God and, and, and God alone. We're all building something. 
And God is wanting to build a people for himself on this earth today. Wanting to build a people who will worship him and serve him alone, serve his purposes and his ways. You know, his purpose for healing brokenness is not changed. For healing physical brokenness like he did in the life of the lame man. For healing emotional brokenness, spiritual brokenness, financial brokenness. And not just of individual people, but, but even of nations. God wants to heal brokenness in our nation. And he is looking, God is looking for people who will work with him. A moment ago in his prayer, Scott quoted from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that tells us, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will heal. I will heal not just them individually, but I'll heal their whole land. God, God wants to bring healing in our land. And recently, he showed himself powerful in bringing healing to uh, our land. And I believe he wants to bring even more. I believe he wants to bring more spiritual healing. I, be- I believe that God wants to, to, to build a revival in our day. I went back and did a little searching in history. And the the 60s were a season of significant turmoil in our culture. Some of you remember. Some of you are too young. But uh, just a season of turmoil. One of the interesting things, if you go back and you track the history of the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court made some incredible decisions over coming years of people's civil rights being violated. And in the 60s, they made sweeping changes. Do you know what happened in the 70s? Now, here's this is Joe's opinion. I think that was the justice of God coming on our nation. Joe's opinion, understanding of, my understanding of history. In the 70s, what followed on the heels of that justice was revival. The Jesus movement broke out. And literally thousands upon thousands of young people in our nation came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe God wants to do that again. I, I believe God is wanting to bring some, some sweeping changes to our nation to build even more. But the only one he's going to do that is on the name that is like no other. The name of Jesus. He wants to build something in the name of Jesus. And I just want to, I want us to think about four questions that relate to this building that we're all doing that I think we need to ask ourselves. Here's the first question. First question is this, is what am I building toward? What am I with my life building toward? Now, most of us dedicate our our waking hours to something. What, what are most of your waking hours dedicated to? Is it mostly to you and yours? Is it mostly about, about yourself? How much of your life are you building toward the purposes of the Lord Jesus? How much of your time and your talents and your treasures actually go aimed at Seeing the kingdom of God built in the hearts and minds of your family, your neighbors, your enemies. How much of that is, is being built towards that? Or, or how much of it is going to building your own kingdom? The kingdom of I, me, mine. How, how much of it? You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever delivered, Jesus said this, kind of in the middle there in, in Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not gather and heap up for yourselves and store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and worms consume and destroy and where thieves break in, uh, break through and steal. But gather up, heap up, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those things don't happen, Jesus says. And he goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Where's your heart these days? Where's the focus uh, of your life? Again, where's your God-given time going? All of your time God gave you. Where, where are your God-given talents? You, got, you have multiple talents. Each and every one of you do. I know some of you say, no, I don't. You do. 
Where are they going? What are they going to build? What about your financial resources, your, your treasure? What, what is that mostly aimed at? Paul writes to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 14, verse 7, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Friends, when, when Scripture speaks here of righteousness and the word peace, there's another word for peace called shalom. It's, 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 not, it's not just a kind of peace that's absent of conflict. It's, it's a holistic well-being peace. When the Scripture speaks of those, it's also always in the context of God's justice, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, so that the peace of God may come. And I believe they're all connected in the great work that God is doing in our land today. And so I'm just going to, and I realize I'm doing this, I'm just adding my voice to the voice of others who have already spoken much more eloquently about this than I have. But I'm also adding my voice to those who will one day now have an opportunity to glorify God because their lives are going to be spared because of what God brought through our Supreme Court justices. They made a heroic decision in our land, overturning an unjust federal protection for an act that robs the unborn of their God-given right to life. I believe that with my whole heart that God was at work doing that. And I want to say this, Christ followers everywhere, everywhere should humbly, let me emphasize humbly, we should humbly celebrate the work that God has done. We should humbly celebrate not the work that men and women did, not the work that organizations did, but the work that God did through those because he gave us the grace and the mercy that we needed on our land. Now, here's something else I believe. I believe that that mercy that God has poured out on our land now has the potential to be multiplied because, and we need to seek it, because one of the things the scriptures teach throughout is that when there is the shedding of blood, innocent blood in a land, it always leads to the devastation of that land. It always leads to the more shedding of innocent blood. You can read about that in Joel chapter 3, verse 19. You can read about it in Psalm chapter 106. Anytime you see this, inversely, if innocent blood of the unborn is now going to be saved, I believe we can anticipate seeing more of God's mercy unfolding and growing in the midst of our broken culture. I, you know, we have seen a spike in violent crimes like we have not seen in ages. I believe we have an opportunity now because the mercy of God is flowing to see some of that be impacted by the mercy of God. And we need to walk humbly with our God and we need to celebrate, celebrate humbly what, what he's done, the mercy he has poured out. But we must never lose sight of the fact that every person, every person on this planet who has life, is an image bearer of God. And that means that not only should they have the right to life, but that, that the life that they do have is a life of infinite worth. It is a life that should be valued. It, it's a life that should, should be seen with supreme dignity. So that anything that demeans the value of someone else's life... It deserves our same passion, our same fervent effort to wipe that out as our efforts have been to preserving the life of the unborn. And so what that means, dear brothers and sisters, is I think God is now waiting. I think God is waiting to see what we will do with this great blessing that he has poured out on our land that we have we've begged God for almost 50 years. To, to overturn this. You know, God is waiting for his people to refuse to look away for any unjust, unloving action. God, God's waiting for his people not to, to blow those things off. He, he's waiting for his people not to stand for the diminishing of another person's dignity or demeaning of another person's value. 
in this life. And that, friends, includes those among us who've had an abortion. And it includes those who disagree with our position on abortion. Now, please hear me. I absolutely unequivocally believe that God and the heart of God is that abortion be unlawful across our nation. But I also believe that on the heart and mind of God is that there would become, there would come a day because of the faithfulness of God's people begging for God's mercy that we would see in our culture that abortion would be unimaginable and unnecessary. God, I believe God longs for that. I believe God longs for us to work towards that. But until the day that God brings that about, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to see those who disagree with us as our enemy. And friend, we've got to remember, they deserve our kindness and compassion because the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, has said, I created them in my image. They bear my image too. And he deems them worthy of compassion and kindness and love. They deserve it because Jesus came to earth to die for them. The same Jesus that came to earth to die for your sin and my sin came to die for their sin because there is no other. There is no other who can do that. And Jesus has said, they're worthy of salvation. I've come to bring it to them. Now, because of this, because of this, I deeply believe as his followers, we've got to come alongside women bearing the challenges of unplanned pregnancy, bearing the challenges on their own. I believe that we as the body of Christ, specifically we, River Bluff Church, need to continue to work towards the the rights of the unborn. But we don't need to stop there. We must come alongside these moms who desperately need the good news about Jesus. And they need spiritual strength. And they need tangible support. And they need healing for their brokenness financially and emotionally and spiritually. And I believe God has created a moment in time for us to be those people. Building with him his kingdom that leads to saving knowledge of Jesus. The good news about Jesus through both our demonstration and our declaration of God's goodness. And we need to do it because there's no other. There's no other name but but Jesus. And so this means that we need to increase our support and our engagement for with people that we've had decade-long relationships with, like the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We need to be more engaged, actively participating, supporting. But it also means that God is wanting to do something here at River Bluff. In his infinite wisdom and his sovereign grace, one of the things that I've seen is God has been stirring your hearts, been stirring some of your hearts in dramatic ways into this issue, knowing what's coming, knowing that there is coming a time when there are going to be more orphans in our land. And they need to be loved and cared for. There are going to be more unplanned pregnancies seen through. And we need to be the people of God stepping into this. And God has stirred some people in our church specifically who have a heart for supporting domestic adoption. Supporting the, the, both the birth mom and the biological dad even when they're no longer custodial parents. I, I, I can't wait. This is a teaser just so you know. Okay, this is a teaser, so you'll come back one day. I can't wait for the day when I get to interview a couple that God brought to our church just a couple years ago and let you hear the miraculous story of the adoption uh, that that they walked into. They they had planned to go a completely different route. God did something incredible, and I'm not going to tell you any more than that. It's a teaser. I can't can't give it away, okay? Um, But in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to get to interview them, and you're going to get to see the grace of God working in incredible ways to, to build into lives that some would have thought dismantled. So the first, that, that, that first question is, what are you building towards? Second question, who am I building for? Who, who are, whatever you're building in your life, who are you doing it for? Who are you building for? Acts 4.11, 
Peter said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. Jesus. There's no other. And see, ultimately, what Peter is saying here, you guys have got to make a choice. You know, there, there is a way to work at whatever career field you find yourself in and do it to bring glory to God. God wants his kingdom to come and his will done where you live, work, learn, and play. He, he wants your, his will done there. But we have to choose, will we open those spheres of our lives to the Lord to bring him glory, you know? Or, or is it going to be about us or our good, good father? You know, a few weeks ago, we looked back at the life of a prophet named Elijah. And there was this moment in time on Mount Carmel when Elijah was standing before the nation and he basically said, how much longer are you going to waffle? You can read about it in Matthew, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, how long are you going to move back and forth between two opinions? And Elijah pushes him to say, you've got to choose you got to choose. Back on Father's Day, we looked at Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua, again, a defining moment in the life of the nation, standing before the nation. Joshua basically says, you got to choose. you got to choose today who you're going to serve. you got to choose this day. Jesus, when he walked among us and taught us how to build our lives towards the things of God for God, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You, you, you can't do that. you got to choose. It's not going to come up on the screen. You can write it down. But in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if you're going to choose to follow me, you got to deny yourself every day. Take up your cross and follow me. He said, you got to do it. you got to do it on a daily basis. Jesus said, you got to choose every single day. You may choose today, but then you're going to have to do it again tomorrow. And you're going to have to do it the day after that and the day after that. You're going you're gonna to have to choose. So what does that choice look like? What is Jesus asking us to choose? Right in the middle again, greatest sermon ever, Matthew 6, Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's that word again. The, the, this righteousness. What are you building towards? Who are you building for? Paul, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, it says, In him, speaking about Jesus, you were also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Are you building towards that? Something for God. Peter, who we've been looking at this morning, would later write a couple of epistles, a couple of letters, if you would. In his first letter, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we read this. Peter writes, as you come to him, speaking about Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Doesn't that sound like Acts 4? I mean, Peter had experienced this earlier. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, speaking about us, the church, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built up for the purpose of being a dwelling place for God. Are you building for that? For, for the purposes of God, who are you building for? Third question is this. Who am I building with? You know, you and I can build, but the question is, are we going to build anything that lasts? Anything of significance? Anything eternal? Anything that has a, a power? Because if we're going to do that, it will only become because we are doing what Peter did and doing it Filled with the Spirit. And it's not just about church work. It's every area of our lives. If we want to see the power of God coming into our homes. If we want to see the power of God transforming the lives of our, of our children. If we want to see the lives of our, our friends and family who are close to us but far from God but get, get transformed. It's only going to come because of the work of the Spirit living through us. If, if, if something wonderful is going to happen in our nation, it's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. And that's how our, our passage today started out. 
Then Peter, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. See, everything that happened in that moment happened. The healing that came to that man that day, the 5,000 plus that got spiritually healed for all eternity, it all happened because God was at work. The Spirit was there and alive. Peter had chosen to build with the Spirit. Who are you building with? Who, who, who are you building with? Are you seeking every day to walk by the Spirit? Are you, are you choosing every day, asking the Spirit to fill you afresh? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? If you, if you want to pray that prayer every day, pray it. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. But don't pray that until you first realize in order for the Spirit to fill you, you got to get out of yourself. You've got to empty some of you in order to get filled by the Spirit. So pray that first. Lord, empty me of what is not glorifying you. I want to pour that out. I, I want that out of me so that you can, can fill me. Because I want to build with you. Who are you building with? Paul writes about building in the Spirit with the people of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we read this. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. And these are spiritual gifts. These are gifts from the Spirit given through Christ. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Who are you building with? Are you building with the Spirit of God and with the people of God? Look at verse 13. It goes on. Paul's writing, he says, This will continue until we all come to such unity. Man, when you look at the church around the world, in our nation, are we seeing such unity? Paul says when we're building in the Spirit with one another, we will see such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. We'll be measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Are we building with the Spirit and with the people of God? Friends, God, God has given some of you in this church an incredible passion for the life of the unborn. And I thank God for you. And others of you have been given a passion for the life of the mom of an unplanned pregnancy, for her health and her well-being, physically and spiritually, and that she and the child that she would give birth to would have life full and meaningful and abundant. Why can't church be a place that champions both? Both the life of the unborn and the welfare of the, the mom of an unplanned pregnancy. Why is it that it seems like in our society right now, in our culture right now, so many are insisting on either or? And Jesus is saying, no, it's both and. I'm calling my people to both and. I don't understand why brothers and sisters who are both equally, uniquely gifted by the Spirit of the living God and impassioned by the Spirit of the living God look down on one another because God has called them to champion something a little bit different. But we do, and division comes. Why can't the church, the body of Jesus Christ, be a place where those things can be championed together? The life of the unborn. And the welfare of the mother of an unplanned pregnancy. See, serving Jesus together and celebrating the variety of passions in our church is a beautiful thing. God didn't give us all the same spiritual gifts or the same passions. So why do we allow the enemy to divide us? When Paul tells us that it's for unity... That he's given us gifting. He's given us passions. Who are you building with? Are you building with the Spirit and with the people of God? Are you building with that name that there, there is no other name? Who builds his church beautifully and diverse. And he longs to see in our day to see it united instead of divided. Some of you will recall that 
Jesus told Peter when they were on a retreat one day, he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, God is at work building. Jesus is building his church. The question is, are you building with the Spirit of God and with his church? Are you part of disunity in any way? Last question. I'll get quick. What are you building on? What are you building towards? Who are you building for? Who are you building with? And what are you building life on? Look back at Acts chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but he has become the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of everything. Just Jesus, there, there is no other. He's the one that God made the cornerstone. The one in whom everything that God is doing in all creation is to be built upon. You read this earlier. If you were here when we got started this morning and you were part of the responsive reading, you read from Colossians chapter 1 that it was for Jesus and by Jesus that everything in, in heaven, everything visible and invisible, everything, thrones and powers, everything was created for him and by him and through him. All of it was built that way for him and he's holding it all together. There's no other. No other. Jesus at the very end of that greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following, we read this. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rains come and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock, the cornerstone, verse 26. But anyone who hears my teaching... And ignores it's foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against it, that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus tells us that we need to build whatever we're building on him alone. Because there is no other. There's no other. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. He says, you church, you church, it's a message to River Bluff Church today. You church, you are built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, basically this. You're built on this foundation. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of that, of, of that building. There, there is no other. No other. We don't need more themes of make America great again. We don't need more build back better themes. We need Jesus. Now, I know you're thinking that's a simple answer. But it is the most profound. Because there is no other. There, there is no other. We need people, followers of Jesus in our world and especially in our churches who will leave their political parties for the sake of Jesus' name instead of leaving their churches for the sake of their political affiliations. Because there is no other. There's nothing else, no one else like Jesus. And friends, what Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, declared 2,000 years ago in the face of the national leaders is still true today. And we need to declare it. There is salvation, verse 12, in no other, for no one else. For, for there is no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men which we can be saved no other. No, no other name. Salvation will come no other way. There's no other through which healing can come to a broken individual or a broken nation. There is no other. And until we believe that and give ourselves over to that, we're going to continue. We're just going to continue to kind of waffle back and forth be beat up by the culture of our world. There is no other. Let's pray together, okay?
Jesus, we, we come. We come in this moment needing you to be, be at the center of everything. Everything that we are trying to build individually, as families, as a church, as a nation, we need you, Jesus, at the center of, of it all. Because when we stop in moments like this and we look at your word and we let your spirit speak to us, we come to realize that nothing else matters. That there's nothing else in this world because there's no other. There's nothing but you, Jesus. And we just need to draw back near to you. And we need to choose afresh every day to empty ourselves of ourselves and Ask the Spirit to fill us. Ask your Spirit to fill us so that we may walk in you. Maybe where you're at right now, maybe the Lord has pointed out something in your building plan. Maybe you've been building towards the wrong goal. Maybe you've been building for the wrong reasons, the wrong purposes, the wrong person. Maybe you've been building with the wrong affiliations. Maybe you've been building devoted to the wrong people. Maybe you've been building on the wrong things. You can come back today and just say, Jesus, there is no other like you, and I'm coming back. Or maybe, maybe you're here for the first time today, and you realize that you've not built your life on Jesus. You've not come to that moment until today where you realize there is no other there is no other way. There is no other name by which you can be saved. By which you can be healed. By which your brokenness can find healing. Your life can find purpose but through Jesus and maybe you're here today and for the first time that you heard that in a new way and made sense. It grabbed your heart. And you just need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to be the center right now of my life. I choose today to take everything else out of the way. I choose to repent and trust you, Jesus, your words. Because I don't want my life to collapse. I want to build my life on you, Jesus, the cornerstone, the bedrock. Jesus, would you be the center of it all for me? Lord Jesus, we come. We come asking you through the power and presence of your spirit to lead us to make any new and fresh decisions that we need to make today. To change any thinking that needs changing, repenting of it. To think about you and your purposes and your ways and your church maybe differently than we did when we showed up today. Jesus, would you be the center of it all? We want everything. Everything that we do as your people, as your church, to revolve around you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.